Well, I have a privilege today of wrapping up, sort of putting a bow on our family series. Uh, every January of the past couple of years, we've been just looking at relationships and families and God's design for families. And uh, we, we started uh, back uh, January 8th, I believe it was, or January 7th, and talked about uh, what it is to be a crazy, busy family and walk through annoyances in family members and imperfect spouses and technology in family. And today, uh, I want to just sort of put a capstone on this, the broken and blessed family. So we're talking about today, the, the broken and blessed family, and in our, our our earlier um, family chat is a poignant reminder of the importance of this thing called family, isn't it? Because uh, how many people know this? When family is really good, it's really good. Right? Like elation. You, you, you watch like the iTunes or like the, the Google like snapshot, the, 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 those, those like videos that they create for you out of your pictures. They put the music under them and you look at it and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is so great. Like, we love our family. When it's good, it's good. How many people know, don't raise your hand, because your family's sitting all around you, that when family is really bad, it's really bad, right? Um, So much of our personal happiness is bound up in the quality of our family relationships. So many siblings have an ache because of strife with a brother or sister. So many marriages are stuck in marital purgatory with both partners aspiring for something better but unable to get there. So many parents' hearts ache for their prodigal children or just among the conflict that exists in their home. There are many pains and sorrows in the world, but sorrows at home represent the most painful of all. And um, today, I have one pastoral aim for you today as we sort of conclude this series. I hope that... um, we can be encouraged to look at our family's blessings and brokenness biblically. To do so requires that we realize that our families are not either broken or blessed, but in actuality, all of our families, in some sense or another, are broken and blessed. Say that with me. We are broken and blessed. Our ability to consider tensions as always a part of this life and family is a critical component to enjoying your family at all. We're broken and blessed. And if you want a nearly perfect family, you're asking the family to deliver something that it was never going to give you. And if all that you can see is the brokenness in your family, you will never enjoy this creation gift that God allowed to remain in a sinful world. What I'm going to say over the next couple of minutes, so if you tune out, you at least get this. What I'm going to say is that the blessing of family love is a remnant of creation and a foretaste of new creation. It's something that God first designed, and it's something that God is going to reinstate in the way that he designed in the first place in the future. The brokenness forces us to deal with the fall, to look to the cross, and it holds out the possibility of future glory to be experienced here and now. We are both broken and blessed. And to start this off, anytime you talk about the the beginning of family and to, to see how it was designed, you go all the way back to Genesis, right? So open your Bibles, Genesis chapter 2 is where I want to start today, Genesis chapter 2. And I just want to touch little points of scripture along the way today that reinforce how God designed the family and how the family is where it is today and where the family is going. Genesis chapter 2 is the first sort of glimpse into what family is all about. Where did this concept of family come from? We read about it in the Genesis account of creation. God says, uh, therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become, everybody say it with me, one flesh. Within uh, this 
verse right here, there is so much that God has designed in the way that families are created in the ways that he expects them to uh, literally divide and conquer. To uh, see a pattern in which man or woman leaves father or mother and holds fast to their wife. A heartbreak. We'll say more about that in a moment, but I think, I think it's interesting to note that this verse right here comes on the heels of Eve being presented to Adam as uh, his bride and her, or her, or her his bride, him, her groom. Good luck. <laughs> that verse is Genesis 2, uh, 23. He says this. Guys, um, I don't know if you remember that moment back of the church. Doors open, your wife comes down the aisle. She's radiant in all her glory. I got married on a beach, so I didn't have the doors thing. My wife walked around a sand dune. I thought that was even cooler. And um, there's this thing inside of every guy that becomes a poet. You know what I'm talking about? Like, all of a sudden, you can write poetry. And this is man's first poem right here. This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I mean, now, ladies, that makes you melt, doesn't it? Okay, it leaves a little to the imagination here, I guess. A little to be desired. I'll give you that. But for a man's first attempt at poetry, it's pretty good, right? I mean, that's an, it's okay. It hits a refrain that's been sung time and time again in our modern world. Elvis said it this way. He said, wise men say only fools rush in, but I can't help falling in love with you. Clapton saying, oh, my darling, you look wonderful tonight. But I think Adam's words are best summarized by the um, prolific uh, Enrique Iglesias, who is saying, um, I can be your hero, baby. <laughs> I think that's really the essence of what Adam's getting at here in Genesis 2. Upon their marriage, God established this family unit by explaining a basic human pattern of maturity where a son or daughter leaves their family unit to establish a new one. And it's such a glorious moment, such a wonderful wedding. This, this woman and man are united in, in holy matrimony. Uh, whenever we officiate weddings as pastors, we, we tell the congregation that marriage is an institution uh, initiated by God and blessed by our Lord Jesus Christ. And here we see marriage initiated by God. And then, look what happens. He says, in the future... A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one. This break, this is a hard break from one family of our past to the forever future formation of a new family. It's the fusion between the souls of two people. And the pattern that God created for us in family begins with the husband and the wife leaving their previous families, joining together to become one family. There is division, the leaving of your previous family, and there's fusion that's coming together to become one. And this has, uh, for, for lack of a better word, a pattern or an order to this. We teach here at Bethel, based off of these verses, that marriage by God's design, is, the first step is the marriage of husband and wife, followed by the joining together as one flesh. You could get that wrong in so many different ways. So many people come together as one flesh before making covenantal vows. So much heartache right there. But we see it this way. The way God says is, is that, that a man shall, leave his husband, or man shall leave his father and mother joined fast to his wife. Then the two shall become one flesh, living under one roof, having one bank account with one future together. That's the goal, oneness. 
oneness, oneness. God's design is the family. It's a good thing for us to fight for, and it begins with the relationship between husband and wife, and then it extends beyond that. Look at Genesis 1, 26 through 28. We see what God's role for children is. Look what he says, and God blessed them. That's an awesome sentence. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the earth. Last week, Pastor Steve talked about uh, this verse talking about in the sense of the creation mandate that man was created by God to exercise dominion over the earth. And so part of that is the advancement of technology, the way that we use tools and technology to, or, or resources to make this world a better place. And today we look at the creation mandate in the concept of families, to, to be fruitful and multiply, to reproduce and to have children, children who then are going to grow up, leave the family unit of their childhood to create a new family with a spouse who, as enabled by God, are fruitful and have kids who grow up and leave the family unit. And I don't know who I'm looking at today, but I, I just wonder how many of you um, need to set it as your goal to not be living in your parents' basement at the age of 35. You don't know to amen or not. That's okay. You just think about that. Part of God's design is for flourishing and flourishing through relationship. The Bible speaks highly of singleness, for sure, but not singleness which is dependent upon parents. We have to ask the question here. What is a family? Like 60 years ago, we didn't have to ask this question, but we have to ask it today. We have to answer this question too. We have to have some sort of logical, theological grounding for what is a family in the first place because family today is being deconstructed in our revisionist culture. Uh, One theologian that I respect deeply, Andres Kostenberger, he says it this way very simply. Family is one man and one woman united in matrimony. Plus, and he says, normally, because there are situations that are other than this, but normally, there are naturally or adopted children, and secondarily, any other persons related by blood. You say, Dan, why do you have to go through that? It seems pretty obvious. Well, well, that's not very obvious in our culture that asks the question, well, what is marriage, and what is a family, and what is it um, to be a man, and what is it to be a woman? These are basic uh, identities and definitions that are completely up for grabs in our society today, and I wonder if you aren't a little bit confused by them. Um, I I read the news, I I look at the reports, and I even talk to many great people who just are all over the map on all these things, trying to fit themselves into categories that didn't exist before and trying to figure this out, and and there's real struggle and real strife here, and and the more that we talk about it, it doesn't seem to be the more that this, this weird soup of opinions is being stirred up, and the more that we stir it, the more cloudy it becomes. Isn't it good news for us then? Isn't it good news for us to know, to know that God has a definition for family? In a very perplexing world, Christianity provides an answer grounded in the eternal nature of God, who's the architect of it in the first place. And one reason among many that we go with God's design is very simple It's because after God created everything, he put a divine judgment over it all. And he looked at what he had made, and Genesis 131 says, and behold, it was very good. This is important as family is part of that divine assessment. 
The human family relationships are there prior to the fall. Guys, so is work. Hope you know that. Showing up at your job, nine to five, feeling like it's killing you every day. There's implications for the fall in that, but it's part of our design as humans to work. Adam and Eve put in the garden to work it and tend it. But also we see family is a part of God's creation. God creates, he sanctions, he blesses the basic structure of the family. It's blessed by God, which makes us ask this very basic question, and it makes me ask this very basic question. If, if the family structure and families are so blessed by God and it's part of God's design, why is it then that almost every single family that I look at today, every single family that I know is in all intents, I think the technical term is jacked up. Like, where did the, where did the cleavers go? I know about them through reruns, in case you were wondering how I know about it. It's this thing on TV, which is this other thing. Never mind. Like, everybody has issues. Everybody's family has fractures and divisions and brokenness. I wanted to call this message family math. What happens when you add, you multiply, you subtract, and divide from your family? Because we all do those things, and in every family I know of, there's subtraction and division. What we see is Genesis 3, Genesis 4, Genesis 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and 10, all the way through the Old Testament happens. Time doesn't allow for me to read this whole account of Genesis 3. I commend it to you to read before the Super Bowl tonight. It'll take you seven minutes. It's the story of Adam and Eve's sin. It's the sin that destroyed their perfect relationship with God. No longer would they enjoy complete whole fellowship with the creator. No, immediately they sit and then they hide from him literally in the bushes. Spiritually and physically they cover their nakedness. The vertical divine relationship that they had with God is completely severed and is broken. And, 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 And the relationship they had with each other though is equally broken. The rebellion of Adam and Eve against God's good plan altered the family and marriage in so many ways. You might be asking, well, how? Dan, well, here's a couple things. Verse 6 of chapter 3. They sin together. Eve takes the fruit, eats it. Adam takes the fruit, eats it. Direct disobedience against God. Verse 7, they hide from each other and behind clothing. We see at the end that that great judgment, uh, verse 25 of chapter 2, the man and the wife were both naked and were not ashamed. All of a sudden turns into, and they were naked and they were ashamed. Verse 12 of chapter 3, Adam blames Eve and God for his sin. You would never shift blame in your family. I know this. This is totally true. You you, you own your sin. Everyone does. But you remember that moment where, where God confronts Adam, says, what have you done? Very direct, very pointed, very much like, like, be accountable, man. Man up. What does Adam say? The woman that you gave me. Twice he shifts blame. How fractured our relationships have become. Chapter 4, verse 1, Adam knew his wife. She conceived and bore Cain. And then the rest of that chapter is filled with Cain killing his brother. And you get this picture that of the four people in the world, one of them's a murderer and one of them's dead. Does that hit close to home in any way? Hopefully your brothers haven't killed each other, but dysfunction, right? goes so bad that as this family continues to spread, verse 19 of chapter 4, polygamy 
eventually distorts God's family design. And the story from there is just all downhill. In just two chapters, God is going to commission Noah and prepare to wipe humanity out with a flood due to the corruption of sin. And, and, and listen, listen, here's the point, here's the point. The more I realize, the more I study the Bible, the more I realize that there's this principle at play. That in all the things that God created that were intended to show us and demonstrate his glory and to be uh, so enjoyed by us that would cause us to enjoy God forever, in all those things that God created good and holy and most sanctimoniously, in all those things, when they fell, when Adam and Eve fell, those glorious things now had the complete capacity to become harmful things. Now, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, marriage, which is supposed to be the apex of this human relationship, which demonstrates the vertical divine relationship we have with God, becomes this very weaponized, hurtful thing. Say it this way. Um, you don't cry when you drop a paper plate. Like some, some of you will go to Super Bowl parties tonight, and you'll have wings, and you'll drop it, and you might cry because it hit the rug. But no one's arguing over the plate. But if you serve wings on fine china, which you shouldn't do, but if you did, and someone dropped a family heirloom, and it, it broke, you would shed tears all around the room. Y'all, I stood on stage with a hammer not too long ago and swung it at a family heirloom of mine, and half of you almost passed out. <laughs> Why? Because things that are of utmost value to us hurt the most when they're gone. The, the, the more important it is to us, the more we feel the pain when it's taken away. And in God's highest glory is embedded in the human spiritual soul. God's highest glory is embedded in human sexuality and in human family. So much so that, that after the fall and the curse, um, now no longer are we people who are created by God to enjoy this earth and rule and subdue it forever, but we have bodies that will die. And sexuality becomes something that we're ashamed of. And of all the pains that we feel, family and marital strife and brokenness hurts us the most. Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, uh, has this point, makes, makes this point. I'll just summarize it here. He, he says, um, if the whole entire world looks at you and calls you ugly, but you have a spouse who looks at you and from the depth of their knowledge of who you are looks at you and says, to me, you're beautiful. Your spouse has this power to heal you that no one else has, and you feel beautiful. And that same thing can become a knife that twists at us because if all the world tells you, hey, you're beautiful, if all the people you follow on Instagram are like, oh my goodness, you're gorgeous, and yet your spouse looks at you and says, I don't know, you feel ugly, don't you? It's because our families have such power over our lives. Our families, the people that we know so much, it's instinctual. Their worth is why brokenness hurts so much. And even after the fall, these family relationships, they they are diminished in their capacity to show us glory, but they're still wonderful in God's gift and purpose. Family, it's so important to us. We love our families. We want to fight for them. So that's, that's the first family, and that's the broken family. But I want to show you, I want to fast forward to God's plan for the family. Because if we know where we came from, we also need to know where we're going and there's a future family that we should all be looking forward to. It's found in Revelation chapter 21, verses 5 through 7. And uh, I commend this to you to read again, but uh, you can flip in your scripture to 21, Revelation chapter 21, all the way at the end of scripture. It says this, God is in heaven. New earth is being uh, displayed, he says. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. What a great promise that is. All things new. 
Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega. That's like A to Z, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Now check this out, verse 7. To the one who conquers will have this heritage, this heritage, this heritage. Almost this familiar overriding of your family heritage today. I will be his God and he will be my, what? My son. My son. This future family is the glorious outcome of our adoption by God and salvation. I don't have time to nearly come close to unpacking what that looks like. But, but adoption is God's gracious act by God, not to merely forgive our sins, but to welcome us into his family forever. Uh, some of you in this church have adopted kids, and um, you talk about them in a way where you say they are now a part of our forever family. I hear that so often. It's such a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be adopted as sons of God. What a great way to demonstrate the gospel. But really, they only say my forever family until we die. And part of the good news of God's forever family is that it is forever family that goes on in eternity. Our real forever family is the family of God. John makes this point very clear in 1 John 4, 7 and 8. He says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. One pastor from a bygone era, Phyllis Brooks, I've been reading a lot of his stuff uh, during my devotional times. I don't want to bore you with this, but I think he makes this point incredibly clear when it comes to becoming children of God. He says this, he says, Jesus came to restore the fact of God's fatherhood to man's knowledge and to its central place of power over a man's life. Man is the child of God by nature. He is ignorant and rebellious, the prodigal child of God, but his ignorance and rebellion never break that first relationship. It is always a child ignorant of his father, always a child rebellious against his father. And that is what makes the tragedy of human history and always prevents human sin from becoming an insignificant and squalid thing. To reassert the fatherhood and childhood as an unlost truth and to reestablish its power as the central fact of life, to tell men that they were and to make them actually be the sons of God, that was the purpose of the coming of Jesus. We see that our future family is one where true fatherhood and true childhood are restored in the new heaven and the new earth. What a wonderful comfort it will be for the orphan who will have a father forever. What a wonderful comfort it will be for the widow to find her husband in Christ. What a comfort it is for the single person or the divorcee who will experience the perfect marriage in heaven forever with Jesus. And in eternity, we will experience together with our perfected brothers and sisters, no longer wayfarers or prodigals, but home-set children belonging to the same true Father, which is good news for all of us because I'm sure there are things that annoy each one of us about each other. And in heaven, guess what? God takes care of it. And that's when you say amen. We're the family of God. See, when it comes to family, as Christians, the best is yet to come. There is such hope for the future as a family. We're not the first family, and we're not completely the fallen family, but we're not yet the future family. Where are we? I have a very Steve DeWitt-ish graph to show you where we are. 
Steve actually came up with this, and I'm borrowing it because it's, it's actually very helpful. You see, creation uh, shows us the created family, Adam and Eve, and then the fall shows us the broken family, and consummation of the new creation in Revelation 21 is the future family. And here's where we live. We live in this time between the times, this time between Christ's redemption and consummation, this time between the fall and the new earth. This is where we are, which means we have to be very honest with where we are. We are the present family, the broken and blessed family. And my encouragement today is to, to see the blessings and curses of your family as part of a bigger story that will help us moderate our disappointments and encourage us that it's not always going to be like this. And I have today just, just three big truths of what it looks like, three perspectives that if we could grab a hold of today in our present family, they would help us tremendously if only we could see them. The first perspective we have to have biblically as it comes to our families is this, is that the blessings of family are remnant gifts from creation. Do you see the good times in your family as connected to the way that God created the good times in this world? In this way, especially Christian families, tell the whole story of redemption. Every marital intimacy, a reminder of when everything was great. A fun family movie night where everyone gets along. It echoes in ancient harmony. Family speaking words of honor, love, and respect sounds and feels noble and meaningful. Moments, some of you have had children, you stand on stage, you dedicate them to the Lord, and you do so in the echo of all the generations who have presented their children to the Lord. And moments when you have an opportunity to bury a loved one who loved Jesus, and you know that hope, that surpasses all cliches, essentially. It's just that, that sense of rightness about how good this guy's got it now. A blessing in how God redeems. That moment where your daughter masters and exercises dominion over the piano keys at her recital and you hear sweet music played, singing together on a family road trip to songs that you wouldn't dare quote in church, Walking your daughter down the aisle could not be any less a creation mandate moment in the life of any person. To, to be instrumental in the uniting of a new family together is a reminder of us that God is good and his good creation continues. The fact that family is still an institution is something that we take for granted. God didn't have to allow families to be continued after the fall. After the fall, when, man, when Adam and Eve scattered, God could have just said, that's it, you're all on your own. Instead, what we see is God graciously bringing back together the husband and wife who are at odds with each other. Doubling down, as it were, on the family. Saying, no, 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 you need each other. You don't know it, but you need each other. And you're going to hurt each other, but you better stay in the middle of this together because I want you to. Many things were lost in the fall, but not the family. It is a gracious gift from God, and we should be thankful that we even have a family. No matter how broken it is, have you given thanks that you have one? The second thing I want you to see that can change your perspective on your family is the blessings are a remnant gift of creation, but, but then we also have to realize this, is that the brokenness of family, it's a stark reminder of the fall. If all the good moments point us back to God's good creation, it's got to be true that all the low moments also show us our own depravity found in Genesis 3. Every harsh word, every dissonance in marriage, every feuding sibling, even every funeral for a family member, 
it reminds us that when mankind fell, the family fell with it. We um, have brokenness. And we should expect this brokenness knowing the story. And I wonder if it's encouraging to you to know um, your family's not alone in the brokenness. Contrary to what Facebook shows you, you're not alone. You know that Jesus' family was kind of messed up? Broken would be a great word to describe two teenagers who apparently have a child out of wedlock walking shamefully through the streets of Bethlehem looking for a place to have the child, knowing that everyone is so ashamed of them they won't let them in their house to deliver the kid. You could imagine growing up with Jesus as your older brother and perhaps the insane jealousy that that would create inside of you. And moms, how comforting is it for you to know that even the Virgin Mary could not mother sinful attitudes out of the hearts of her kids? They'd be walking down the road, Jesus would do something, and James would say to Jesus, well, who died and made you God? <laughs> How do you unwind that? How do you break that down for a kid to understand? Like, what? Think of the dynamics there. Think of the, today, Jesus' family would be in counseling so fast. Very imperfect, and so is your family, and so is mine. And every argument, every miscommunication, every act of selfishness reminds us of the fall. And here's the third thing. We have to keep in perspective for us to keep our families moving biblically forward. It's that God's plan for restoring the family is future, but it's also today. And that's super good news, that the future blessings of the family are available to us today. This isn't the type of message that says, hang in there and die. Because once you die, you can go to heaven, you can experience this great future family. So just get saved. Jesus died for your sins. Sorry if you got saved at like eight years old. You got to wait a long time. But then one day it's coming. No, we believe as a church, we believe Jesus told us and we believe scripture reveals to us that the moment you place your, your faith in Christ, you are given the Holy Spirit. And one of the biblical authors says that it's like the foretaste of heaven. The Spirit allows us to feel what heaven's going to be like, to create in us this, this longing for that day, but also to know that today is the day that we can live as a family for the gospel. It'll never be perfect, and often our families aren't closed, but still supernaturally, if we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, applying the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus into our family, we can see this today. You know that a Christian family is not, a, not just a family that goes to church on Sunday. A Christian family is one that is faithfully living out the gospel in day-to-day -day life. And that's how future family glory breaks into this present day today, here and now. And here's what I think that looks like. Just two really basic things before we close our time and we reflect on this message. Two basic things. If I could pastorally just ask you to consider these two things, here's what it would be. I'd ask you to find a unifying vision for your family. Why does your family exist. If I were to honestly ask you, hey, why does your family exist? Some of you, here's what you'd say. Well, mom and dad got married. They thought they were mature enough, made enough money, and had a nice enough car to have kids. And so I was born first, and then my sister came, and then a couple of years later, surprise, my brother came, and they weren't really ready for that. So uh, 
I guess our family is here because mom and dad kind of wanted us to be here. Really, other than that, we're just kind of trying to get, a, get along and survive. You know, like, we're trying to make the best of it. Trying to, trying to do what, what's right. Trying to get better every day. You know, it is what it is, really, is kind of why we're here. Um, that sounds a little, like, weak, right? But honestly, why is your family here? What is the vision you have for your family? It's a great question for us to consider, great question for husbands and wives to consider, even if you don't have kids, to consider, what are we doing as a married couple? What do we believe God's called us to? I have to just point you in the direction of Joshua, who, who, who set down a declaration at a pivotal point in the nation of Israel's history, who said, well, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you don't know why your family's here, maybe I can just uh, encourage you to, to figure that out. Um, that was what hung in my family's hallway growing up. Someone did this nice calligraphy-free thing for my mom, and I thought for the longest time she really just wanted it to be up there to say nice things of the person who gave her the gift. But over time, I realized, no, no, no. My family exists because we are servants of the Lord. And every single member of our family working together towards that end, serving Jesus rather than ourselves. That is a good gospel family. That is a family on mission. That is a family on purpose. Why does your family exist? If I can encourage you to think deeply about the unifying vision of your families, that is always a useful exercise. And I would tell you that if you um, can crochet, you should crochet that verse into a pillow. And if you have a Sharpie and a blank coffee mug, you should write that verse on your coffee mug and drink from that mug every morning. To remind yourself, why does your family exist? What are you doing? How are you a broken but blessed family? Christian family lives in submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and it's a family where each member lives out his or her life in service and love of the others. Second thing I want to say about how, to, how we live out this future family today is, is simply this. It's that brokenness is redeemed by grace and forgiveness. God is a God of love, grace, and forgiveness. And when we are loving, gracious, and forgiving, we are experiencing the future family today. I wonder, if I were to ask you, like, what does your family need? What does your family need? Some of you would be really tempted to say $10,000 more on the paycheck. Some of you would be tempted to say a shorter commute to and from work so I could see my family a little bit more. If I just ask you, what does your family need? Uh, some of you would say just an ounce of understanding. What does your family need? We need just a little bit more space in the house. What does your family need? We need a car that doesn't break down or slide off the road in a snowstorm. What does your family need? And, and, and all those things maybe are true, but here's really the one thing that we all need. You ready for it? It's grace. We need desperately God's grace in our lives. See, grace is that spiritual muscle that moves our soul to forgiveness. Grace is that thing that God shows us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Grace is that while we didn't deserve the gift of a second chance, God gave it to us anyway. Grace is the thing that lets us see the future family today. It's what helps us give each other second chances. My kids have been growing up as they do. How do you stop that? Tell me later. 
kids are growing up, and now Elon's four. Miles is about to be three years old in a couple of, uh, couple of weeks. And uh, Graham still has no idea what's going on, so it's great. But um, as they've been growing up, they're at that point where, like, they're learning how to play together. They're learning how to fight together. They're learning how to process through conflict together. And at first, when Elin was like two and Miles was little, she'd build blocks and he'd come knock it over and we'd say, babe, she, he's a baby. Don't worry about it. Like, just get, cut him some slack. And she'd be frustrated, but like, whatever, it's, he's a baby. And then he began to talk. And he began to look at her with a devilish look in his eye before he would kick over the blocks. <laughs> and then she was like, dad, what are you going to do about this? I remember not too long ago, literally just a couple days ago, um, <laughs> Elin was building something. It was pretty cool. And uh, Miles wound up. He, like, t- like, field goal kicked this thing. Like, came through and just, bam! Great form. I'm going to get him in a, a class. But <laughs> Elin is old enough where she's starting to, like, process her emotions. And she stood up. She stomped her feet, shot her fist towards the ground, and she said, I'm so frustrated right now. I said, good. You know what you feel. That's good. It's really good. And she said, Dad, what are you going to do about it? I said, also good. You know who's an authority. <laughs> so I had to do something. She was calling me out. So I, I pulled Miles aside. And this is kind of how we do this in my family. I sat him down. We got a chair that's very specific for this. Um, it's in front, it's right, right in front of the window. So if you're walking by and you see us and the kids, we're disciplining. Um, <laughs> I always wonder, like, man, the neighbors must think we're crazy. But um, I, I get down on his level. I say, Miles, buddy, you can't do that. You knocked over Elon's tower. That's not very nice. What should you do? And I kid you not, this is what my little two and uh, almost three-year-old son goes. He goes, uh, watch TV? <laughs> no, 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 no. Buddy, you need to say you're sorry. You need to go up to Elon and say sorry, Elon. Can you do that? Yes, Daddy. Can you go say sorry to Elon? Yes, Daddy. Okay, go, buddy. Go, 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 go. So Miles kind of hops down on a mission. He goes up to her, his sister, and he parrots back to her, my words, looks at her and says, say sorry, Elin. <laughs> Elin, all, already frozen in a state of indignation, <laughs> looks at him. She's going to be a great mom one day. She says, no, you're supposed to say sorry to me. Try again. <laughs> this is why we need prayer in our family. And so Miles They're on different pages, you know what I mean? Like they're just not communicating the way that I want them to. I see it so clearly. I'm like, no, 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 you're saying the wrong words. You mean the same thing. You're you're not communicating. So Miles, thinking he's doing the right thing, he tries again with all sincerity that a two-year-old can muster. He goes, say sorry, Elin. And she turned around and split out of there because she was offended. Cute when they're two and four, isn't it? Not so cute when they're 52 and 54. Because so many of us in our marriages, it seems like we're on different pages trying to communicate offenses, trying to apologize, and somehow the fall has just smacked that away from us. Like like it's robbed us of the ability to communicate clearly with one another, to express our heartfelt desires in a way that each other can receive and comprehend. And what we need in these moments is a little word called grace. We need grace for the other. We need grace from brother to brother to say, hey, man, I know what you're trying to say. I get it. It's okay. We need grace from husbands to wives to say, I know. I don't hold that against you. I forgive you. I'm thankful for grace. 
We need grace from parents to kids to say, I know you broke my law, but I love you anyway. And so here's grace. We need so clearly to be reminded that brokenness is redeemed by grace and forgiveness. The future family, future family is available today if we might see God's vision for it and to see it redeemed by grace and forgiveness. Tim Keller, he writes it this way just in a summary statement. He says, one of the most basic skills in marriage is the ability to tell the straight, unvarnished truth about what your spouse has done and then completely unself-righteously and joyously express forgiveness without a shred of superiority, without making the other person feel small. Grace is the type of thing that allows us to give up leverage, to forgive and forget, and to allow healing to take place. This is going to be a harsh statement, but I really, I really think I need to say this. Um, why do we live in a Genesis 3 environment in our homes where every infraction is held against and over the person's head with the full force of God's condemnation upon them? When God has provided through Jesus Christ a way for us to be redeemed from that state, to show each other forgiveness and reconciliation, and to live in the joy of Revelation 21. So many of us harbor unforgiveness in our hearts, and do you know who it hurts? It never hurts the person you're not forgiving as much as it hurts you. And the reason every year we come back to families is because we believe God wants us to fight for family. We believe God wants us to fight for forgiveness. We believe God wants us to fight for freedom. And so available in the person of Jesus Christ if he would, we would allow ourselves to be humbled and forgive. And I think when families show grace, forgiveness, and love, we become this voice to the world, this picture of the goodness of the glory of God in a way that maybe they don't understand with words, but they can see it in your home. I think it's the best way for us to share the gospel. For some families, just staying married is almost a prophetic word. When people ask you, how are you doing it? Why are you doing it? You can simply say, our home is a Christian home and Jesus has changed my life. And so while maybe without Christ we'd fall apart, with him we know that we're going to fight it out. The gospel is the only way. And in our world today, a faithful marriage and a loving family that is marked by grace and forgiveness is our best shot at evangelism. Amen? For letting the world see the power of God on display. I want you to know my hope as a pastor is over the next couple years for us to share those stories of what that looks like. They're happening here or all around us, and I can look at you and, and realize the ways that the gospel is shaping this out in very tangible ways, and I hope to share that with you in the coming months. But that's Family Month here at Bethel Church. Not crazy, busy, or distracted. Able to love the annoying family member and the spouse with his or her imperfections. Living present with each other and not living for a glowing screen or pixels. Broken every day, but blessed by God. May God make each marriage and family blessed for his glory.